welcome to Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show, where it's all about finding ways to a clear path to stress-free downsizing in order for you to live your best life. Each week, we will discuss where to begin, how to select where to live, the best methods to sort and monetize your stuff, as well as the proper steps to valuing and listing your home in order for you to fast forward and start living your new life. Now, here is your host, Ann Nori, the downsizing coach, an experienced award-winning realtor, auctioneer, and personal property appraiser, bringing you much-needed information to help you navigate the steps of becoming financially whole as you successfully downsize your home and life. Welcome, Karen Briscoe. Thank you for joining us today on Downsizing Your Home and Life Radio. We're so thrilled to have you. Karen, uh, welcome. Well, I'm delighted to be here because uh, you and I have uh, visited on the other side of the mic when you were a guest on my podcast, and so I always love to to, to turn the, the tables around. And of course, real estate is my passion, and I'm delighted to share with your, your community, your audience. Thank you so much. Your incredible, uh, your book, Your Five-Minute Success, and then the launch of your book, your, your um, show, and all of the information that you bring to us is absolutely incredible. I will um, share with our listeners your tremendous success um, with your HBC group. Um, great, incredible team that you and, and your team have, uh, Lizzie Conroy at uh, Keller Williams uh, in McLean, and the volume that you guys just generated blows my mind over $90 million in 2019, which is impressive. Um, not only have you been a mentor, but an incredible educator and a, and a strong influence in my life and my real estate career, as I've always mentioned. And it's such an honor to have you here. And I can't wait to share with our listeners your vast experience in the topic of downsizing and how to accelerate that process and make it as pain-free as possible. And I appreciate the opportunity to contribute because oftentimes what happens, you know, when people achieve a high level of success in their profession, you know, the, the next level is, you know, what, how you can help other people. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Karen. So like one of the most important common questions that um, our guests have for us is, I'm thinking about downsizing. Should I sell first or should I buy? I think that's the most important question that a lot of listeners come in with. What would be your advice? Well, it's a classic chicken and the egg. (laughs) So many people, the the first question I ask is, can you buy without selling? Because if the equity um, and the uh, value, the money is coming from the house to buy, and there are some ways to structure that. It is more uh, challenging. Um, if that is the case, then in many cases, it's better to sell. So then you know what you have uh, to work with to go buy. If you have the choice, if you have the ability to buy without selling, either to structure the deal that way or you have the financial resources to do that, then buying first, I, I uh, remind people that where they're going is where they're spending the rest of their you know life or until they move right. again right but if you're downsizing it's probably you know one of your next um, significant moves and so 
if where you're going is very important to know that piece, mm -hmm. then many times it's better to buy first because then you have that assured and your home will sell. I mean, right. if you work with a professional, it helps you uh, prepare it properly for the market and price it correctly for the market. You know, it, there, it, there is a point where it is a commodity and it will sell. Um, and so, and sometimes I found too, is that when people know where they're going, they can release where they've been. Uh, oftentimes, if you don't know where you're going, then there's hesitation in the process. Uh, so I find that people, and myself included, mm -hmm. it was important to me to know where I was going. I wanted to, when we were downsizing, uh, when our kids were, you know, off to college and we were ready to not have the maintenance of a, of a large single family with yard and we wanted more of a, a turnkey living and a townhome with an elevator, it was more important that I was in the community I wanted to be in. And I knew they only came on the market. <laughs> so many, you know, there right. were X people. amount of properties. Right. So when there's a part of that, you can help determine too with your real estate professional is, you know, what is the supply and demand? So if you, where you're going, there's not as much choice. You may want to secure that. If what you're selling, you know, because of the market conditions, it will sell, then that is another part of helping um, people decide uh, which to do first. Absolutely. And like we said, uh, generally, it's always important to have a start point and more importantly, to have a final point, whether you ultimately choose the home that you're going to live in and make that purchase or whether it's identifying if you're going to be going from a suburb to an urban community or a city community, or you're going to be moving towards your kids, you have that end point in mind. Whatever your choice and process and decision is, it's important to identify that. So you have a start point and an end point to create that roadmap in between. So I think that is a big takeaway is identifying that, whether they secure the property or not, that's a personal and financial decision. But being at a seller's market, it definitely is a smart way of devising that roadmap if the finances are in place, allowing that to do that. So the next question would be, once they've decided where they're going, now the most important question that comes to mind is, what is my home worth? What is the value of my home? How would you advise that they determine that? Well, that is a multifaceted <laughs> uh, question, actually. A value is actually what a buyer will pay and a seller will accept That's right. in an arm's length transaction um, in, you know, in the point in time. So right. it is time bound. So what is a value now could be different at another point in time. Mm -hmm. And even though the stock market, we all see, you know, the fluctuations, we're not right. as quite as evident about the fluctuations in the real estate market, but there are. So it is not a one and done static <laughs> uh, number. Right. And so the idea is uh, in terms of valuing, I, I recommend a professional because there many people, there's a lot of knowledge of it available in resources online. And, you know, I find that people know a lot about the what's going on in their neighborhood because they live there and they, at, at the same time, uh, there's a reason why attorneys are told not to represent themselves right. <laughs> uh, because they often don't have that objective. And then the, the feet on the street knowledge of where the market is going, because 
just like your financial advisor will say to you, past performance does not indicate future results, it's the same in real estate. So real estate professionals we, and appraisers and tax assessors, they're all looking back at the market and they're looking at what they could use to determine value. Uh, it, it depends on how homogeneous the, the property is, the home is, um, and, but it, it comparable means it's, it's something like it. it. By real estate, by definition of the fact that real estate is, is real and it's unique to that place, right. there's no true comparables. The other thing is though that the market is constantly changing. So right. what is what real estate professionals do is we fortune tell. <laughs> we look into the future. We right. we do what when Gretzky says, we go to where the puck is going. And we're looking out to what is likely the market going to do when you decide to put your home on the market. Of course, mm -hmm. no one knows for sure, and there are a lot of things to consider beyond just the immediate market knowledge, but that's going to be your best indicator. Uh, value also has a lot to do with supply and demand. Absolutely. I was going to mention yeah. and, and, and talk about, you know, obviously what other inventory is available in your community, in that neighborhood? Uh, what are the comparables? What were the sales? How many days on market, you know, is ideal for your community is, is all information to take into consideration when pricing and look, taking a look at what's happening in your community. And I think something we've talked about in the past, Karen, and I remember um, that you always brought this to light is the fact that it's important to take a look and price the property immediately right before your listing. So sometimes we get a listing agreement and, you know, sellers are working for four to six weeks maybe to make improvements to the home. And they're like, you know, where you start off week one, the dialogue may not be where you go on the market the day before you actually list it simply because of many of those market indicators. Yeah, supply and demand is like gravity, like you said. So if supply mm -hmm. keeps coming on the market, then it could have changed in, you know, in terms of there may be more inventory and buyers have more choices. And when they have more choices, right. there tends to be some price pressure down. Uh, the other side is true as well. So when there's been a lot of demand and demand is greater than supply, the thing is, is on pricing. The price can go up. It can. And what I, I the market is the market study. Yes. So it, at any given point in time, there are buyers ready, willing, and able to buy. And that's true in all markets. I mean, I was, uh, you know, an active real estate agent during the market correction of the, you know, 08, 09 cycle. And the, the buyers have this <laughs> sixth sense, this intuitive sense of which way the market is going right. faster than sellers do mm -hmm. because they're actually doing what I call conducting the market study. They're out looking at what is available in the marketplace and they're doing what's called the principal substitution. That's what appraisers do. So they're going, right. yeah, I can live here and I get this amenities. I get, you know, this, um, you know, features and upgrades, but I could live here and I could get this location and I could get this number of, you know, improvements, whatever. So, um, they're doing that and it's in real time. <laughs> it, again, it's the best example is the stock market, although it doesn't happen as right. fast. So if there is a time lag between putting the home, get, starting to prepare the home for the market and, and discussing pricing, uh, there should probably be another discussion right before going on the market to see if anything has changed that would, would make it 
um, wise to, to price it differently. Interestingly enough, I had a phone call yesterday from an appraiser uh, regarding a property that we had sold in Fairfax, and he was trying to appraise a divorce case for the courts, a property that they were looking, um, you know, and the difference was this property had a little barn and a swimming pool and the other properties in the neighborhood didn't. And he was looking for comparables and obviously he's widened his circle because in that little community, you know, are, that house was more than the others. But again, an appraiser, you know, it, it, an appraiser's job is to look at the past data, look at what has historically taken place in the community and try to find a comparable and try to, you know, get a price that is similar or comparable and, and provide their opinion. And again, an appraisal is someone's opinion of price and value. If you hire two different appraisers, they're both going to come back with a different number because they both have a different sense of market study and an opinion. So I really want you know, our listeners to understand you know, providing that feedback from an agent. It, it's study market, taking a look at the data, whether it's an appraiser, whether it's we are working with a professional, we use the data in different ways and at different times. And, um, you know, and one of the most important questions, Karen, I think we all get hit with is, I checked on Zillow and my home is worth X, Y, and Z. <laughs> well, Zillow does tend to be, their algorithm is more interactive. Right. Now, Zillow hasn't been in your home. <laughs> and so Zillow is not making the real person comparison, right. whereas a real estate professional has been in homes um, and so has seen what, you know, there, there is a lot of value with the photography and right. virtual tours and uh, virtual walkthroughs and 3D imaging and all that. There is a lot of value to that, but there, there's, it's really not going to replace the um, actual being inside a home. You know, some people are like, oh, you can buy your house on, you can find your spouse online, you can buy your house online. I'm like, well, you still, <laughs> you still meet at some point and kiss, right? I mean, in most cases. In so, most cases. In right. most cases. So uh, the appraisers, uh, they're, they're working more to what I call justify or substantiate. Right. Uh, again, real estate professionals are looking to go out. So Zillow is this interactive algorithm. It is more oftentimes uh, responsive and accurate than, or truer to market than for, say a tax assessor who's valuating typically only once a year or when the property changes hands or something significantly right. changes about the property. So a tax assessor is gonna be more static and also think about tax assessments. Uh, very few homeowners contact their tax assessor and say, please raise my tax assessment. Right. <laughs> and yet they will go the other way. If they feel like it's too high, they will, you know, contest it. So it's not going to be as accurate. So the thing about Zillow is uh, it's a Z estimate. It's an estimate, right? It's an indicator of value. And even the CEO of Zillow's own home did not sell for the Z estimate. And he said on national television that the Z estimate is not Z accurate. So that's coming from the top. It is an indicator. So again, these things that um, help us in terms of coming to a value that we believe the market will respond to is what a tool in the toolbox. Right. 
Right. And it really is property specific. If you have a property that's 6,000 square foot and all the other properties in the neighborhood are 3,000 square foot, you know, Zillow can only do so much. And, and if you have certain features and updates, or if you don't have those things, it's all going to affect value. So, uh, uh, you know, a word of caution, it's a great reference point for you to consider, but, you know, definitely you can't base what the professional is telling you and come over, you know, to allow Zillow to override the feedback that you're receiving. So it's important to speak to a professional, to seek the advice, let them do the market research and provide you with the data so that you can collectively make the best decision. Um, and what is the best time of year to sell, Karen? That's a common question. What would be your feedback? I feel like the best time to sell is when it's right for you in the sense that timing the market in real estate is often very similar to trying to time the market in right. the stock market, right? right. Um, so it, if it is the right time for you, I personally, my husband and I, put our house in McLean on the market the day before Thanksgiving in 2009. So most people would say, Karen, what are you thinking? And I was right. like, there's nothing to buy. Right. And so, and this is the right time for us. We had done the buy first, so we put on our contract first without a home sale contingency. But I, my husband said, well, can you sell our house? And I'm like, well, of course I can sell our house. She just may not like the price. <laughs> but I had. For Andy. <laughs> right. For Andy. Well, but I was right. Because I had a compelling why. My why was one kid in college and another kid about to go to college. I was not in a position at that point to, or we were not in a position at that point to want to carry another home, even as an investment property or rental, although we have six now. So it wasn't that I was against that idea. It was that that home was not the property to be doing is holding. Many people become what I call accidental investors because their home doesn't sell for what they want. And so they rent it out and then they just kick the can down the road. Right. So when is, when if not now, that's an acronym, when, Yes. Is what I ask people, because mm -hmm. if you don't do it now, then right. when will you do it? Right. At all markets, at all times, there's buyers will, uh, ready, willing, and able to buy. And oftentimes, I'm a little bit of a counter uh, intuitive or counter market in the sense that the, you know, the traditional, what most people in most of the United States think about as the spring market, that can actually have uh, there can be so much inventory coming on the market. There may be more buyers, but there also may be more inventory coming on the market. And it could also be like being on, you know, rush hour on a major highway, right? So yes. like, you know, slammed in there with everybody else. So if that's the right time for you, then by all means, that's what, you know, you should do. If there are other times that it makes more sense, like mm -hmm. what you found is available and you want to move, right. just remember that, um, the, the market does have some fluctuations seasonally, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have, mar in my view, in most cases, market fluctuations that to me override the personal reasons for the reason why people <laughs> sell uh, real estate. And so if it's priced correctly and prepared and presented correctly for the market, I find that there are buyers even, okay, my business partner bought her house uh, two days before Christmas. I actually find holidays counterintuitively. They do well. 
they do because this is why people have more time off or it's easier for them to take off um around the holidays people are they're with family there may be decisions to Mm -hmm. help um financially there may be people around to help uh, cover it's easier to just um focus on Mm -hmm. when you have that just space so i i would just remind people that there the two First consider, instead of the timing of the market, first consider what is the best timing for you. And if you find a home you love or you find the place you want to go, then then just do it. It's like an antique, right? It, right. it, it It's unique for a reason, right? So, Absolutely. Come Absolutely. around, you know, next time you go looking for it. You know, one thing that I never understood why people take their home off the market and feel that they only need to be on the market during the springtime because when there's more competition, I, like you, have written more contracts Christmas Eve, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, because people are out there, there's activity taking place, there's less inventory. Less inventory means that you'll have, you'll have maybe less showings, obviously there's less buyers, but the buyers that are looking are the right buyers. They're the ones that you want. So I always encourage sellers to stay on the market, hang in there, don't be discouraged. Let the, if you're working with a true professional and they're marketing the property, it doesn't matter the seasonality, if it's priced right, if the conditions are right, and if, you know, if the right elements are being shared in the marketplace, it will sell. So that's a big takeaway that I want our listeners to feel confident and uh, to be prepared for. Well, there was a day and age where data wasn't as readily available. Um, In this current, in some ways it's good because the consumer has a lot of information. In some ways it's tsunami-like. But there was a day when realtors and homeowners could take their home off the market and people didn't know, right? They didn't know that it was coming back on the market that had been on the market, you know, so many days last year. People know that information and they're, they're savvy, right? They're sophisticated. And so it, if you if you're doing it because you're again trying to uh, overcome Days those, on market. <laughs> right, those that, uh, those that is over. necessarily going to happen in the fact mm-hmm. that people already are pretty aware of this information. Yeah, and one of the reasons, Karen, um, that I personally put this program together that I wanted to educate our listeners is I walk into so many listings, or as an auctioneer, as an appraiser, when I walk into a property. And whether they have an agent or they're not, and they, you know, tell me that, and I'm looking around thinking, okay, this could happen. You know, I wear different hats and I hear, oh, we just spent $75,000 doing X, Y, and Z to the exterior of the house. And I'm thinking, oh my, but the bathrooms aren't updated. You know, there are other things that have not been done in the home that are priority. So what are the important elements for people to consider in preparing their home to sell? What are the do's and don'ts that over your many years of experience that you would share? Well, there, there are definitely um, improvements and upgrades that can be done that will increase the pool of buyers. Uh, many times buyers are purchasing what they're able to afford and with the lending guidelines being such that uh, th- that then they have to have a certain amount of reserves. So, you know, there was a day and age where people were like, oh, sweat equity, or they're going to want to do that work. Uh, now it's more uh, people because of, uh, you know, dual incomes and, and a lot of responsibility, perhaps taking care of elderly parents as well. Um, they often want more of a, you know, property that's already been maintained well and 
turnkey. And turnkey. Um, and I remind people because, as you mentioned, oftentimes people, sellers, will, homeowners will tell you all the things they did. And I'll say, that's good. You, you should do that. Just like your car, your body, everything's in a state of deterioration. If you didn't do that, then it wouldn't be staying you know, current for the market. And people right. often ask, well, what does that mean? And I, it, what an industry number that I've found that I uh, works for me is a value of one to 3% per year. So yes, if you've replaced your roof through the years, it's kind of like you had to get new tires too. I mean, you didn't like make the car worth more right. because you got new tires. Your car is still the age of the car and the number of miles. So the sometimes that helps sellers or homeowners frame of reference as to what because $75,000 on a $300,000 house is a huge number right, right. investment in the home but if it was a, a you know two million dollar house you go yeah that's just the you know annual maintenance um or maybe a couple years maintenance so but oftentimes that helps people because I want them to be able to see that yes they did good things those are the right things to do, it still may um, be beneficial right. because oftentimes what happens, and I know you've seen this as well, is that uh, you'll go into a home mm -hmm. and the buyers <laughs> will calculate a higher um, cost mm -hmm. of what it takes to do the work than right. it probably is because they're factoring in their time, their, their, the unknowns, Right. Um, they're factoring all of that in. Whereas if they walk into it, they'll, they'll value it higher because they can, they can begin to use it sooner. There's, there's several, many factors that go into why buyers behave the way they do. Right. But if you're, if you're on the market and, and there, you're, you want to be the best house, right? So right. if you're the one who still needs to do the bathrooms or still needs to get the wallpaper down or, needs to remove the carpet and show the beautiful floor, wood floors right. uh, and everybody else has, then you're, you're really putting yourself, you would put yourself at a better advantage to doing those things. And a good real estate professional or a stager professional, someone who helps people regularly getting houses prepared for the market can tell you what the cost benefit analysis of some of the things that you can do. Some of them are. And I always encourage everyone to, there's so many great resources. Perhaps there's thumbtack.com that you can, you know, find professionals if you're looking for a painter or carpet person or tradesman, right? And you can post your job and then you can get different quotes and have different people come and give you quotes to check out and make sure that you are getting the best possible option and, and, and reviews and so forth on the individual that you select. So I encourage everyone to look at the resources out there, get a couple of estimates, make sure that the costs that they're putting in, that they're going to be able to have a return on their investment. And there is such a thing as over improvement. Right? There is. Yeah, there is. So it's important to be mindful. We want to keep as much money in your pocket as possible for your transition for your move. But there are some things that should be done, could be done. Let's get them done cost effectively. Let's get you moved into the right property. And by getting the right estimates, the right professional real estate professional will be able to help you coordinate some of those elements put you in contact and figure out what you should be doing and may not necessarily need to do because we want to make sure you get those return 
on the sale of the property. Well, what many people do is reach, I recommend, and they reach out to me early on in the process. Like if you're thinking, okay, in a year or two, I'm going to be making a move uh, so that you will be doing the things. But I've also found sometimes people think, oh, I can do all those things myself. Um, Oftentimes (laughs) uh, that delays and- Delays, uh, that's it. That's exactly. And that could impact, we had this happen uh, recently, um, the homeowner- and they had a timeline and because the delays and delays and delays, now we still were able to get their home sold at a good price. Um, but what they found was if they'd used a professional, uh, the, they would have happened sooner. And so then they could have made the move sooner. And then, you know, there, there's other factors to selling and moving. And money absolutely is a key aspect to it, but your return on time is also one. And I do recommend asking your real estate professional because they, in most cases, are probably vetted contractors. Those contractors are going to want to provide good quality service because I've had people sometimes check, you know, out lists and they'll get people to come out, contractors, and they'll start work, but then they don't finish the work. Oh, that's not good. And, and that oftentimes ends up costing more, right? So yeah. you, you think you were saving something, but you ultimately didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just be aware that some work should be done by licensed contractors. And, you know, there have been situations uh, where either an inspection process or the, you know, permitting process or whatever, doing it yourself could be, um, you know, ultimately. Cost you more in the end. Cost you more Not in the end. So, if you didn't so do it right the first it's, round. It's right. true with anything, right? I mean, yes. it, you know, it's it's really, it, it, it appears perhaps that it's more money, but when you... Um, consider the other, you know, the unintended consequences right. of things that could happen if you uh, take these other avenues. They may, you may find that you're in a better position uh, doing it correctly the first time. <laughs> the first round, right. Um, I want to jump into, again, something that you'd mentioned early on that is so important and such an important indicator that so many people ask about, and that is the assessed value, that the tax assessed value of your home brought, you know, by the county or the city that you're in. How does that correlate to what the value of the property is in reality in today's market? Well, before we had these internet indicators like Zillow's, yes, um, that that was what we used, right? Because it was our uh, basis or baseline baseline to start with. Um, And if the county is accurate in terms of you know, bedrooms, baths, square footage, but if, you know, space has been added on or improvements have been done, uh, it may not be correlating uh, the way the market would respond. Also, the more frequently a home changes hands um, is going to impact the tax assessment because they'll, but if you'll look at like the history of tax assessments in most properties in the United States, you know, they rapidly rose in response to the market run up from, you know, the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then it took them longer to respond to the, the crash and the correction. Right. And then it's, in many cases, has been rising again. Um, but like I, I mentioned, homeowners are more likely to contact the county uh, if they feel like it's too high. Um, and I we saw this in the correction years. Right. Um, then they will be if they feel like it's too low. Right. And so uh, in, in the certain market cycles, like when the market's correcting, uh, many people 
say, well, I'm not going to pay more than the tax assessment. Mm -hmm. um, when the market's rising, you know, the, the good news about mar rising markets is pricing is often self-corrected by the market yes. moving towards yes. it, right? So it's more impactful actually when the market is correcting and, and going down um, than when it's rising in my right. experience. And also if you're considering on buying a property and you're looking at more than one home, it's important to take a look at that tax assessed value, what the price is listed and look at the historical data in that community, what the sales price was to that tax value to give you an indicator. Another indicator I think that's really helpful is what I call look for the peak pricing for the neighborhood or the community or the street. That's a great point. And the reason why is in most parts of the United States, the part market, real estate market was peaking in the 05, 06, kind of flattened. It actually was peaking 04, 05, and it's flattened in, in 06, 07. And those were when a lot of the top prices were being paid because escalation clause, there was more you know, demand and supply. And then the market, you know, crack, crack, crashed and corrected. Um, and then it's been rising. So if the neighborhood has, is in a, a state or condition of hitting that peak price right. or breaking it because ceilings, you know, glass ceilings, ceilings of anything <laughs> are the hardest things to break, right? For a right. reason. So if it's breaking it, then it's likely that your neighborhood may be peaking again. So back to what a real estate agents or fortune tellers or predictors of the future, we're looking at where is the market going? If it's peaking, it's going and headed, right? Yeah. You don't know how long it's going to stay up there. Honestly, it doesn't usually stay very long. Okay. Right. So you're like, well, okay, I'm going to try to time the market, which is very challenging anyhow. But if you look at the peak and where it is in the peak cycle, so, you know, I'm sure you've heard as a buyer, you don't want to own the most expensive real estate in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But if you're a seller, you want to obviously sell <laughs> for the top dollar you can. Sure. Um, if you've got other good sa recent sales up in the peak area, mm -hmm. then this is probably it. So people are like, well, how did you know that that was the peak time uh, before? I'm like, well, because it doesn't, markets have a way of, getting overheated and overpriced and the buyers collectively know that and then they start to slow down or they um, more supply will come on because more sellers are like wow these are great prices for that i'll sell uh so you'll you'll have some sort of dynamic happen right. so i actually think that can be a very helpful um but you'll need a real estate professional to help you do that. But uh, way to look at where the market is going, because again, tax assessments are looking back, appraisers are looking right. back, uh, even Zillow is looking back. Um, we're trying to figure out where it could go. Past data, current data, and future data. Working with the right professional, again, it comes back to someone who studies the market, is aware of the market, and is able to look at the indicators to help project where we're headed. And that is really um, what it's about. And I think we're going to, our next few questions that I have for you, Karen, even speak higher about data is the fact that um, a lot of people are like, well, we kind of want to list, but should we list a little higher? So we have space to negotiate. We have wiggle room, jiggle room. <laughs> what is your feedback about the jiggle? So that is a common <laughs> thing that people, sellers, particularly owners say. Um, and the thing is, is that 
market is what a borrow, pay, and a seller will sell for at any given right. point in time. And so the closer the pricing is to market, the less negotiating room there is. Right. And if it, the seller starts too high, then the buyers collectively know that. I mean, it's an unbelievable phenomenon. Independent buyers come to the same conclusion because they're out there doing this process of substitution. And once those buyers have all seen the home, mm-hmm. and how do you know how many need to see a home? Well, one way is you could look at what you know demand has been for the previous six months for that type of home in that kind of community. That's how many buyers there were. So that's probably how many buyers there are. So if that many buyers have seen the home, then the market has seen the home. And in, in upper brackets, that could be three, right? I mean, some people are like, oh, but I've only had three showings. And I'm like, but you had all three buyers. And so <laughs> if you start too high, then buyers, those buyers could likely go do oh, wow. something else. And, or they're going to wait for you, Mr. Seller and Mrs. Seller, Mr. Homeowner, to recognize because there's nothing like, you know, time on market experience to help the seller recognize that they started too high. So then what happens is, you know, the seller is the one that has to move towards the market. And many times sellers will say, well, tell me to tell them to write an offer. Well, first of all, I I like to feel, think that buyers have what I call good manners. (laughs) And they don't want to embarrass or offend a seller by telling them the truth because every homeowner thinks their baby is the most beautiful baby. Uh, Even professionals, I find, (laughs) often have a, you know, view of their property differently than investors uh, can be oftentimes more um, realistic. But most people... You know, even attorneys, even other commercial real estate, I've even found people that are in, active in the business still look at it um, with a rose-colored glasses. So the, the buyers, if, if they believe as a collective unit that the house is priced too high, then the seller is going to need to move towards the buyer, and that's where price adjustments come on. And then you can, you know, you can do death by a thousand cuts. (laughs) You can, you know, sometimes you end up catching the knife on the way down because it's falling faster than you're moving. Um, I I encourage people to move as far as they can. And people are like, well, how? As quickly quickly as as possible. possible. So you can, if you want to test the market and try high, then people are like, well, how quickly? And I'm like, well, if, if the market, it's seen your house. So you determine that by how many buyers there are in the marketplace. Um, oftentimes, for sure, within 30 days and for a fact in 60 days, if you have an upper bracket unique home uh, and it maybe takes some time for people to get in to see it, you know, perhaps a little bit longer. But the, um, and people say, well, they only, only need to have one buyer. And that's true. And yet the, the one buyer is, probably savvy sophisticated too right and they're they're not going to overpay uh and what happens the other way so let's talk about pricing correctly or pricing maybe even a little below market right my husband and i had this great debate when we were selling our house in 09 the worst time of the to sell a house um he wanted to price it high he wanted to leave negotiation i wanted to price it at market or a little low to create demand demand because demand, this is where you hear escalation clauses, multiple offers. When you have demand, the benefit to a homeowner seller of that is you're probably going to get stronger terms. Right. And the thing is, is whatever it ends up is at, 
that's the market price. That's right. Yeah, that's why, you know, auctioneers and you, you know, you're being an auctioneer. My father's an auctioneer. <laughs> auctioneers get this, right? We move up, right? You could do one, you know, you, there's two ways of arriving at price. You can start high and work your Brilliant. way down, or you can start low and create demand and work up. Bravo, bravo. That is such an important point, Karen, that time and time again, a property that is well-marketed, that's priced right, will work its way up to market. Even if you smidge underprice it, it makes a difference. And the biggest takeaway I want our listeners to understand is we need to get people through the door, get them in to set an appointment, come to see the property, come to preview, fall in love with the property in order for them to write a contract. So if we're overpriced, the phone's not ringing. They're not asking for viewings. You're not getting the showings in order to get the contract. So the most important takeaway for sellers is really to understand the dynamic of getting the phones to ring to get the showings. If you're not getting those elements and you've been on the market, the market is speaking to you and it's important to, to react and it's important to price right and it's important to look at the data and understand and educate yourself in making those important decision-making processes. Because obviously when you sell is going to be so important as to what you end up buying and the interest rate, and there's so many other factors involved, but don't lose that valuable time when you could have you know, moved on, gotten a sale and, and made the right decision. That is so true. I always tell people, I know whether home is priced correctly because my phone rings. Yes. Because when my phone's ringing and the agents are saying things like, you know, have you received any offers? When are, when are offers due? When then can I get in? How quickly can I get, can I get yeah. in? Can when I it's the other way around and you've been on the market two weeks, three weeks, a month plus, and they're going, well, will the seller negotiate? How much will it, you know, will the seller take this? You know, then the seller is, is, in, is not as in a strong position. Right. And it really is... In most cases, you know, sellers sometimes will say to me, well, I want to make sure, you know, I get the top dollar. And I'm like, well, I do too. I want <laughs> you to obtain the top dollar the market will bear. But right. that isn't the number for me and you to determine because the buyer is the one that's coming with the money. And it is in my best interest for you to get the top dollar the market will bear because you're going to tell all your friends, relatives, and neighbors, associates, right? <laughs> so sometimes people think, oh, well, the, you know, the agent doesn't, it is, it is invested in it. And, and yet they Not truly true. are. They're, they they're are. advising you because they have more, you know, on the street experience. Even, you know, even if you've sold, you know, multiple homes through the years, uh, it, the market is constantly changing and, uh, you know, even with that, you know, I've sold over 1,500 homes. So, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, turnout experience that I, I share with people. Sometimes I think they think I'm just trying to sell it fast because it's better for me. I'm like, yes, that's true because it's better for you. Right. And <laughs> condition, hope. right? So terms, I think another important indicator for people to consider is pricing it right. It will allow you to get multiple contracts. Multiple contracts will allow you to get more favorable terms. So if you're able to get a buyer that's waiving an appraisal, that's waiving a home inspection, oh my goodness, sometimes the surprises that you really did not know that come out of a home inspection that can, you know, affect your bottom line 
all has an impact. So it's important to take price into consideration, but pricing it right, it does a lot of other things than just get you a contract. It can potentially get you the best contract with the best terms that are favorable to you as the seller. So a lot of things happen on a lot of different levels to price right. So sometimes it's better to avoid the jiggle and price right and get out of the gate, you know, as in the best foot forward as possible. And correct quickly, if, if you, you start that's high right. and you're feeling the market, you're listening to the market and you're feeling it to listen because that's actually how my husband and I came to <laughs> a compromise. <laughs> I let him price the house, but I was like, you're going to change the price in one week. So I was like, and we got an offer the day after the first price change. Um, and so I, and I look back and even at the bottom of the market, right. I feel like we sold well. Right. for what the market conditions were and then where the market it took another you know four or five years for the market to get back up and so i felt like we did well yes, and i felt yes, i felt good yes. about that so that's awesome know, karen people need to think about the strategy if they yes. want to try a price i would say try mm -hmm. price we could try a price but strategy <laughs> is we're going to move quickly to correct if the market's telling yes. us something different. and i've even had situations where if it's corrected sometimes we get renewed energy and we can still do do well on the negotiations oh, wow. and the um the, the it is. so this is my least favorite question that i we all get asked right what is the commission and a reduced commission and and what is your feedback about the commission topic karen Yes, I understand that for many times it, it's the what they consider net, which is in the real estate uh, license professionals. We're not considering that because right. we're going to do whatever it takes to sell a house. Exactly. And we don't get paid until the house sells. So we're very invested. Um, but it's just like with any professional. I uh, have had this happen many times. In fact, recently, and these were friends that we'd known for several decades. Our kids were in scouts together. And they were going to hire a... a um, you know, more of a, a limited service and reduced commission. And, you know, we, I shared with them that this is your largest asset, your largest transaction, you know, in other areas of your life where you're making, you know, important decisions, say, for example, your health. Oh, uh, my goodness. Go to the, you know, would you go to someone who, you know, gives you discount services? Uh, no, you want to go with someone who has professional because the thing is, is the, um, the value that's obtained is really priceless, priceless because the, a professional, there may be new conditions, like for example, COVID-19, truly very unique market conditions. I've been a, a real estate for um, <laughs> quite some time. I've been through five <laughs> recessions and market corrections and I've never seen anything like it. And yet I had a lot of muscle memory about what happened in other markets that had similar characteristics. I had, a, you know, a toolbox of strategies um, that help, you know, we're able to, to work yes. and help our clients. Yes. And those kind of things, oftentimes you don't get to figure that out uh, until, um, you know, it happens and then you need somebody that can, to, that can navigate that. And it would right. be like being out of, you know, a beautiful sale because I know you're a sailor and having, you know, your equipment fail or Absolutely. a storm come in. Do you really want somebody that's the discounted person? Do you call the cheapest person to come out and help you? Um, 
you want somebody right who has some skill and knowledge and ability and you know support it, it, staff karen i think the support staff the marketing aspect they have the funds to do they have the systems in place they have an ability to go you know you and i and and, and a lot of the other top tier teams were able to go to video video you know exposure to the property reacting you don't want to be the guinea pig on an inexperienced agent's portfolio for them to test in your property on your most expensive and most important asset you want to be and work with a professional. And I, it always makes me cringe. Well, my husband's golf buddy, you know, is married to someone and they just got in the business or they're starting to do this. And I'm just like, oh my, because you really want the best for everyone. And, and again, this is their biggest financial investment. And it, they're, especially individuals that are downsizing, they're taking these funds and it's going to impact their entire future. How they're willing to allow pride, personal relationship, fear of rejection from friends, because if there's some components, they're somehow tied to another agent, allow their financial sanity decision-making process always blows my mind. So I encourage you to work with the right of professional that is best for your most financial important decision and not just for the most convenient one. So it's like saying, I'm going to go to a heart surgeon, but my buddy's a general practitioner. Let me go there and see if they can conduct heart surgery. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing while you're selling your home. So Karen, what do you say about open houses? How important are open houses? Well, it really depends on, you know, the community and the location and the pricing because in mm -hmm. the upper brackets, oftentimes it's um, maybe not as likely that you're going to uh, have a buyer come to an open house. What I find that open houses do for the seller, the homeowner, is that it exposes it to a broader market and it creates mm -hmm. the convenience mm -hmm. of showing it because that buyer's agent may be holding another open house. They may be out with clients and they'd be out with out of town. And so this creates a scenario where they can more easily get in to see the house again, right. or show family members or whatever. Um, the other thing is, is that open houses now with COVID-19, you know, there are certainly health um, and safety considerations. And we certainly want everybody to be mindful of that. And there are some precautions and uh, procedures that we put in place for that. Um, but seeing other people that are interested. So everybody wants what everybody wants. That's what Barbara exactly. Corcoran says. And it's true. You, you see other people there, you're going to be like, hmm. And, you know, it could be just, we had one open house where literally, it ended up only being three groups, but they all kind of came about the same time. And we had you know, they wait outside and only one group in went at a time. And they're like going, by the time they left, <laughs> one of those people bought the house because they saw that other people were interested because it, so it creates that. Um, but it also, a lot of times uh, buyers will want to come back a second time, but they don't, right. they feel like, even though this is not true, your agent is always ready and willing able to show you houses, but they, they just they're feel not. like it's yeah. convenient at a relaxed time to come and see it. Um, and so there, there's definitely benefits and strategies uh, to discuss with your real estate agent. And it's, it's just one means of exposing the property to the market. I think it's a very, very, I agree with you completely. And it's an important element. And the more open houses that you can coordinate with your agent and, and have them exposed to the market, it's always great. 
being in the DC market, Karen, I mean, we all have interesting clients and stories. What is your most favorite story that you've had with a seller that might have been high ranking or some sort of a, especially with security clearances, we all have those scenarios and sellers and having open houses and having people go through the property. What can you share with us what your most interesting um, experience or client might have been? Well, this wasn't really a downsizing, but they were relocating. Uh, Scott Pelley from 60 Minutes um, and his beautiful home, estate property. Uh, I went to college with his wife and uh, knew them also from church. And uh, he had such an amazing array of photography and awards <laughs> that um, people were spending a lot of time <laughs> enjoying his photography and his awards and not looking at the house. And I finally had to have a conversation. I was like, you know, I think it's really um, going to be more beneficial selling the home if we remove some of these things. Right. And he um, recognized that. And so then we, we did go on and sell the home. Uh, I actually sold that house twice that year. So it was three plus million. Oh, wow. um, so it had a buyer come. I was representing the seller. I had a buyer come and uh, purchase an executive moving in from out of the area. Um, at the same time, I had a local attorney that was contacting me. Um, but the buyer was coming from outside the area, represented by another agent, ended yeah. up not buying it. Well, that about three months later, it turned out to be on the market again. I'm like, that's what happened. They, oh, they never did get located here. They decided to move them somewhere else. So it was back on the market with the same agent. And they, they bought it. And the attorney came back to me and said, you know, you know this house better than anybody. Will you help me buy it? And so when people, one thing about real estate that makes it so every deal is so unique because it was the same house and the same real estate agents, um, but we just swap places. Swap places. Anything is possible. And then a a high ranking official, a a four-star general, I still remember I was actually out on my bicycle and I get this call about this person wanting to look at a rental. Well, I got to interject. Karen and her husband, Andy, are big bikers. awesome, awesome bikers. So I live out in the Appalachian Mountains. I live out towards the Percival Round Hill area. It's probably 40 miles from our McLean office. And Karen, sometimes on the weekend, I'll see her on Facebook. She's all the way out in my area, biked. It's so impressive, so incredible. Anyway, I'll let you get back to your story. But I, I actually have that. done that by bike from Percival all the way to Mount Vernon. Um, oh, wow. It's a long day. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, I met him, or I asked for his name, and, I, and the way he said his name, I was like, you're important. <laughs> so I, that, that was back when Google wasn't as big a deal, but I Googled him and found out he was a four-star general. So when I went to the house and I said, General uh, Jack, and, and he said, how'd you know my name? And I'm like, well, you just, I, I said that. I was like, yeah, but he was really impressed. So him and his wife, I put him in the rental because he was coming out of retirement, but they wanted to buy. And uh, she had MS and needed a pool and an elevator. And it took some time to find the right property and sold it to them. Um, and so this was probably like 04. And then she passed a few years back mm. and the, uh, the general contacted me and he, it was just, he had had many years of entertaining and, you know, she enjoyed the pool and the elevator made her be able to enjoy life a lot longer um, in the home. But now that she was passed, he was ready to um, make a change. And so that was a very, um, 
I was honored that he came back to me oh, and asked me again to, to help him sell the house. And then he decided to rent. Uh, he wasn't quite sure about his next move. Actually was seeing someone, you know, I don't, I don't know if marriage is in the future, but he wanted to be uh, more um, flexible in his next move, but that's going to be coming up. So those are one of those uh, opportunities where you really become connected to people um, and help them with their, their housing needs over and over again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Karen. I have one final question for you before we end our call, and that is educate us a little bit about, so we've gone through preparing the home. We've, we've priced it right. We've gotten a contract. We've gone through home inspection, and now it's time for the home appraisal. So our final topic is educate us about the importance of the home appraisal and how that works in the entire process. Well, if the purchaser is a lender, <laughs> then the lender is requiring an appraisal as part of the conditions of the loan. And if you look at lending to buy purchase money, yes. to buy a home, uh, it's really two parts. So the, the borrower, the buyer is being uh, gone through the approval process, but the house is going through an approval process too. And the house approval process includes a couple of components. And one is uh, what appraisers call comparables mm -hmm. to find what, as you said, opinion, but yes. um, because even just selection of which comparable you're going to use is in, in a way, an opinion. An opinion. Um, and sometimes appraisers tend to use ones that are low <laughs> and I like, but you can use ones that are high too. I, as a real estate professional, uh, make it, you know, part of my business practice to now in the time of COVID it's, it's, uh, maybe a little bit restrictive, but um, in most cases, do my best to meet the appraiser, uh, regardless to provide the information about the property, the features and upgrades list, the plat if available, which is a schematic of showing how the house is laid out on the property, uh, floor plans if available, all of the documentation that supports the value of the home. And I always say that, I'm like, this is what supports the value of the home. If Great the point. seller has, improvements, particularly yeah. if they're considered capital improvements, like right. roof, placement of windows, replacement of systems, HVAC, appliances, those, depending on the year, if that information is available, that's valuable for an appraisal. So provide appraiser providing, providing that information. Appraisers can also look at conditions. They're looking oftentimes for safety factors, uh, particularly VA appraisers, they're going to look for handrails, they're going right. to often look for wood rot because anything that deteriorates a property, obviously, because if you think about it, the lender, in, in, it's been quite some time, but mm -hmm. many people remember when we had the market crash and people right. lost their homes and it had to go back to the bank. The bank is ultimately holding the house as collateral. Right. And so the value of the property, the home, is important to the, the lender and it's important to the appraiser because of that. And they, they follow pretty uh, federal guidelines in order to come up with that uh, determination. But it, it's important because the borrower, the buyer, uh, the valuation to support the contract price, that's what we're looking for. Uh, many exactly. times sellers go, why don't, why don't I get to know the appraisal, appraisal amount? And I'm like, well, because if it supports the contract price, then yay, we're going forward. And the appraisal is a property of the purchaser, the borrower. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't support the contract price, 
then in many cases, depending on the way the contract is st structured, uh, the buyer or borrower will, will, may come back and negotiate and then you will see the appraisal. Often, sometimes there may be corrections like that could adjust the value. Um, if, if that's the case, then there are situations where the buyer borrower can contest the appraisal, but in most cases, particularly for the government loans, <laughs> they're they're pretty firm about very stringent, um, yeah. What, right, and some people say, "Well, I just had it refinanced." So a refinance appraisal is, in a lot of ways, you already own the home; they already know you're paying your mortgage. <laughs> a right. lot of ways, even though it's verifying the value or verifying that the home exists and that it's. In, you know, substantially uh -huh. in a good condition. Purchase money appraisals, they're actually, the lender's actually going to give the money to the borrower. So yeah. they have a lot more invested in uh, the, the validation of the value um, before they, they will invest that money. And so uh, many times sellers, uh, you know, don't understand the distinction, but a, a refinance appraisal and and sometimes sellers will say well i'll just get it appraised and that'll be the the price they're like well right. again all of these things are a point in time moment um and the market could change or shift or uh the, the comparables may get too old that's another mm -hmm. thing is you you were sharing that one story about the appraiser looking for um a very unique you know conditions in a property uh, depending on how unique the property is but the, the comparables are ideally supposed to be within six months and ideally within a one mile radius or the zip code needs to be uh, also consistent property type. So, you know, single family home, uh, three level colonial is not going to be compared to a condo. That's obvious, but it also right. probably wouldn't be compared to a Rambler or a split level. Right. So there's a lot of factors. Karen, can, I just want to give everyone an example. So for okay. example, I'm going to put this out there. So we have a home, it appraised for $500,000. The contract between the buyer and the seller was at $530,000. What would happen in that situation potentially? So the appraisal came in for the bank at 500, but the buyer and the seller negotiated that the buyer was willing to pay $530,000. So in the sale of a home, there's often three points of negotiation. There's the original contract price that the parties agree to based on the market conditions at that time. Then there's the home condition, which is a home inspection, as you mentioned, and the, oftentimes the buyer and seller will negotiate to have repairs, replacements, remedies made to the, the home uh, related to the condition. Then there's the appraisal, which again is the, the bank's um, representative, uh, which is a third party entity. It's not uh, they have to be separate now. That's part of the trade guidelines that came out of the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, so the, the appraiser is this, you know, arm's length entity. Right. So when the, the, the valuation comes of the appraisal below the contract price, it depends on what it's in the contract. In some cases, there's, uh, but a lot of it depends on what the borrower's situation is. So the more money a borrower is putting down, a buyer is putting down, then they have room, if you will, 
oftentimes to bring that additional money to the table to make up the difference. Their financials, personal their financials, financial yeah. situation. So, so when a seller is looking at an offer with their, their real estate professional, how much money somebody's putting down, a buyer, buyer's putting down, it matters because of that. Um, now, just because a buyer has the money doesn't mean they want to overpay because- right. You know, a lot of times the, the buyer will look at the appraisal as like, oh, I overpaid and mm -hmm. now I don't want to overpay anymore. Um, sometimes the parties will come to an agreement in between the number. Um, oftentimes you'll see splitting the difference, which is the most common uh, negotiations. Um, but a lot of it depends on whether the buyer can do it. So, so in that scenario, you said if they split the difference, then the appraisal came in at 500, their contract was at 530, the agents get together with the buyer and the seller. They were like, look, the bank is only going to give us $500,000 for the purchase of this property. So if the buyer is not willing to write a check for that excess $30,000 and the seller does not want to lose that contract, then they might make a concession and as you said meet in the middle and each party gives a fifteen thousand dollar discount so the contract price in that scenario would be updated to five hundred and fifteen thousand right so if the if the borrower is putting twenty percent down say it's how much the the lender will loan up to that amount so right. it, the borrower would then for say thirty thousand swing twenty percent of that is is $6,000. So the buyer has to come with additional $6,000. And one thing I share with sellers when buyers are qualifying to purchase, like we're talking about purchase money, when they're qualifying to purchase, there's also reserve requirements because what happened in the last market correction and crash was that many people were you know, buying more than they actually could afford and lenders approved that. So that is with the new Dodd-Frank legislation, there's requirements for the borrower to have in reserve in addition to their down payment and their closing costs. So people say, well, just bring additional $6,000. Well, that may throw off the ratios and their numbers. They may not be in a position to do that. That's a great, great point. Yes. So the buyer and the seller make a concession. The contract price is adjusted. Yes. Therefore, yes. So the takeaway is that the appraisal amount does have an effect on our final contract amount and uh, potentially if they're not new, if it doesn't support the contract amount. But I wanted to thank you so much, Karen, for your time. I hope I know that our listeners have gotten nugget after nugget about best practices in real estate. I cannot thank you enough for your many years of expertise and being a leader in our, in our real estate community and always sharing your thoughts and education. And we can't wait to have you back on. Thank you for joining yes. us. My pleasure. Thank you. And Karen, can you give us your site at where guests can visit your, your two sites? I know you have your five minutes of success podcast, as well as your on-site on, online. Yeah. So the, it's the number five minute success. So that makes it easy. So the podcast, the website, all social media, all the books are available on Amazon, real estate success in five minutes a day, commit to get lead 66 day challenge and flip time, love life. And for the real estate, uh, space, my pr primary profession, uh, we're HBC Group at Keller Williams. So the website is hbcgroupkw.com. Thank you again. Thank you for joining Downsizing Your Home and Life Radio. We look forward to having you on our show again. Wishing you a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Downsizing Your Home and Life Radio show. 
It would mean the world to me if you clicked to subscribe to our show so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Please share our link with friends who may also be considering the downsizing journey and leave us a rating and review so that we know how well we are doing. For more resources, visit thedownsizingcoach.com. Wishing you great success in planning your steps to living your best life. I look forward to greeting you on our next show.